it's time for the Culture Trumpet Podcast. Please welcome your hosts, Dan. All right, Doyle, tidy. And the other one, Mark. Hey, up, Chuck. Make us brew. Hi, listeners. Hello. Well. We're back. We're hoping that this episode's going to be a distraction for the shower of shit that's hitting the world still. I don't want to say it's our fault, but, you know, it started to get worse since we started podcasting. I am taking no responsibility of this. This is, this is all on you. Uh, what, because I said it? Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I don't pay the hosting, so I'm going to blame you. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You're okay. the enabler. I am. That's very true. We're back. We're back. We're back. So let let's crack on. Well, what's what's coming up in this episode, Mark? Tell the lovely listeners what we've got in the pipes. Well then, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we've got a bit of news. Ooh. Bit of reviews. Ooh. Quiz. Yeah, buddy. The the long-awaited return of the quiz. Oh yeah. Uh, an interview. Hell yeah! And then if we have time, we'll squeeze in a topic of the week, which again, Ooh. we've not had for a while. I bloody love squeezing stuff in. So not like that, listeners. Let's, Come let's on. Loop, we'll, if we get time, we'll lube that up and slide it on. Behave yourself, Mark. Behave no, yourself. No. It's only one minute in. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be one of them, isn't it? Okay, okay. I think it is. Right, let's, then, right. let's start off with wit news. Wit news. Hellraiser trailer. Finally. Thoughts? Well, I'm excited. I think I'm excited Mm. because having watched the original Hellraiser semi-recently, and by semi-recently within the last two years, Mm -hmm. I was horrendously creeped out by it. And I'd seen it once previously, and I didn't take much notice of it. Watched it again, and just thought, bloody hell, this this is horrendous. And I got a lot of that vibe from the trailer. So I think... You know, reading the reviews of some of the straight to straight to DVD ones that they've done of recent, I think this one's going to be a return to form, or at least I'm hoping so. And with the likes of Prey, 20th Century Studios, who I assume have done this one as well, because it's a Hulu and Disney Plus exclusive, they are they've, they've hit they have hit it out of the park. Recently, so I hope that's going to continue. Yeah, I I think it looks quite good. Um, I don't think it's Fox who are making it. Uh, Hulu are distributing it, but it's um, Spyglass who are making it. Okay. Um, for distribution on Hulu, but I think your point stands that Hulu seems to be quite willing to kind of go. Okay, here's some quote unquote premium movies in terms of their um, fan recognition Predator, Hellraiser etc we're going to give the filmmakers an amount of money and let mm-hmm. them go with it right I think what this one has in its corner is it's produced by Clive Barker which is what I was going to say because he hasn't were you, were you going to say that? I, I was actually okay, because he hasn't been part of Hellraiser franchise producing since 96, which was Hellraiser Bloodline. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and there's been was... a few since then. Yeah, well, Bloodline was the fourth film, and it was the first one where Miramax, I think, who owned, or Dimension, which was the genre wing of Miramax at that time, uh, started f- messing around with it, let's say. Um, so the version of Bloodline that was released was by f- was far from the director's intended version. And I, I would imagine at that point, Clive Barker just thought, nah, I'm done, thank you very much. <laughs> take, take the money and uh, it's all over to you guys. Because of course, um, the, one of the biggest things about this incarnation is Doug Bradley's not involved at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so Pinhead has been passed over to the name which I had on screen. It's disappeared because I am professional. Jamie Clayton. There we are. We'll cut that together. It'll sound like I knew exactly what I was on about. Seamless. Seamless. So Jamie Clayton is a trans actor who was previously in the Netflix series Sense8, which was by the Wachowskis. Okay. Um, She was quite good in that. And it's... It'll be interesting to see see what what she does with this one. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing another take on the character of Pinhead. I mean, yeah, you know, we we all know what to expect, really, because Doug was so bloody good at it. And some of the yeah. incarnations of the straight again the straight to DVD ones just I haven't captured it, but the voice sounds good I like the stylization already mm-hmm. from the trailer yeah I, I just i really hope it hits the mark i do i do the trailer was giving me kind of more hellraiser 3 vibes in terms of it looked a little bit more glossy let's say than the griminess of the first two hellraiser movies it's probably um, not going to have that yeah that old i don't even know how to describe it it's not grindhouse but Almost though, I know what you mean. But yeah. to, to be fair, they they the look was obviously largely defined by the limited budget. And while while Hellraiser three wasn't a huge budget, it was considerably more than the first two. It was an American production, so it had a certain level of gloss to it. Let's say. Um, but no, it it looks good. It is not a sequel, not a remake of Hellraiser the film. But it's kind of pitched as another adaptation of the Hellbound Heart, which is the book that Hellraiser itself is based on. Mm. So, it's, so. And what I um, like is it's it's picking, you know, how to name the film from the book of the Halloween reboot sequel do over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's just yeah. call it the name of the first one. That's it. That's it. Um, but no, it it looks good. There's, I like the design of Pinhead. There's a new Chatterer in there that we see briefly, and mm-hmm. and a couple of others. It's out on Hulu, and I would presume then worldwide it will be Disney Plus on the seventh of October. Yeah, correct. So we will find out in as we're recording this just over a, a week, just in time for our Halloween special. Yeah. Because we're prepared this time. Oh, yeah. And not Halloween the film. What do you mean this time? We're always prepared. Yeah, I take it back. I'm sorry. But not Halloween the film, although Halloween ends is out around the same sort of time. But forget about that. Halloween... Pardon? Well, I mean, Halloween the season of event, not necessarily Mm. Halloween the film. And I want to be very clear. But we'll have seen Halloween ends by then. I'm sure of it, because that's how... That's how... Hang on about. Hang about. Hang about. When is Halloween ends out? That's a very good question. Hang on a moment. 
please bear with listeners whilst Mark checks to be typey, to be the return of that's 14th of October so oh okay looking, so I can't remember when we said we're going to try and record our Halloween special but hopefully by then yeah, well, well, in some time in October let's not <laughs> commit ourselves to anything we can't deliver okay so that's right. Hellraiser uh, Hellraiser Looks yeah good. decent looking forward to it definitely some vibes from that the original films coming through yeah. so yeah fingers crossed Fingers crossed. Hoping for the best. Andor. What about That's it? Andor the program, not and stroke or. <laughs> so, Andor. So, Andor is following Cassian Andor, who mm-hmm. first came to our screens in Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Mm-hmm. And it's a prequel to that of how he becomes rebellious. Yes. First three episodes out on Disney Plus at time of recording. Correct. Yeah. Oh, now, come on. How many have you seen of those three? The one. Okay, that, there's your rookie oh, error. There's your rookie error. It didn't grip me enough to want to watch the second one straight away. Okay. The the first three work almost as, as their own movie, if that makes sense. What, a three-hour um, movie? Well, they're only about half an hour or so each. Really? I yeah. was, I swear, blind, it was like an hour and a half when I was watching the other day. No. Hang on, I'm not having that. Bear with. I do not believe that for a second. This is really fun to listen to, isn't it, listeners? Oh, yeah. Well, the fact-checking elf can pop in at some point. No, we gave him the week off, remember? He was so bloody busy the last couple of weeks. Why doesn't IMDb give you the 41 minutes? Okay. Okay. It felt a lot longer. Well, okay. What I would say... the, The first three work really well together, and I, I suspect that's why they dropped them all at the same time. That makes sense. So people would watch them together. They build to a climax at the end of the third episode, which really? is which is really good. Really good. And although at the time of recording, the fourth episode isn't out yet, um, I've seen the fourth episode, and that, you know, after all the introductions and reintroductions and, and kind of scene setting and, and world building is done, the fourth episode really then hits the ground running in terms of right. Let's get moving now. Here's here's a uh, a mission is going on. Here's some of the other characters. Here's a bit more of the scheming, the political office politics, all that kind of thing. I can. I'm, s- I'm enjoying the visuals. Obviously, hmm. um, so far I'm not gripped, and and that's okay. That's cool. That's it's, cool. You know, it's, but, what is it? Twenty? Is it twenty four episodes, or just the fact there is going to be two seasons? So it's twelve and twelve. I think there's going to be two seasons of twelve each. Twelve okay. episodes okay. each. All I would say is, do stick with it. Okay. Maybe watch two, three, and four together. Then, in that case, because it really yeah, does pay off. It, it really does pay off. What I'm loving about it is, it's not connected to the to the Skywalker stuff, and I think that really works in the same way it did for Rogue One. In that, here is although Rogue One was obviously linked to Episode One, Episode Three. Sorry by the time the film got to the end, for the majority of the film, it was about a different set of characters within the larger Star Wars universe. And what I really love about this is, so far at least, we don't see anything about Darth Vader, the Emperor. We don't even see stormtroopers. What we see are like the local level security teams 
you know, the people who deal with the crap yeah. before the stormtroopers get involved. Yeah, and it's the kind of petty rivalries between people at, at the Imperial Security Bureau, you know, over who's going to get the promotion and... and you know, it's that kind. It's at that level, not this big sweeping Skywalker thing. It's it's almost like take the name Star Wars out of the title, and it's like it's this almost like space a, drama. A, 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 yeah, a sci-fi espionage thriller. Mm. You know, um, it, it's it, it could almost work like that without the Star Wars connection, and I think that's what's best about it because as good as Mandalorian was it still felt the need to to pander to the Skywalker saga yeah because there it was Luke yeah, Skywalker yeah, you yeah. know and then Mandalorian there was a whole episode with Luke Skywalker and then obviously Ahsoka is, has got the links mm. so as much as, and of course Obi-Wan so as much as they might be interesting stories and, and cool shows to have, they're limited almost by their connection to the Skywalker film. Yeah, I get that. Whereas this, as as removed as Rogue One was, 95% from that yep. element, this is even further removed. And we're down at the ground level. We're dealing with not not the rebel fleet, not the X-Wings and, and the whole, you know, dozens of ships and whatever, but it's like we see Mon Mothma in Rogue One and uh, and Return of the Jedi, but when we see her here, she's still the politician. She's not a rebel yet. I mean, she's, spoiler she's alert trying... for those who haven't seen it. Well, not, you, see, you see her in the trailer, right? As a, as a politician, but anyway. Anyway, so that's you, enough of your opinions. It's a grounded. Nope, move on. No, nope, nope, I'm cutting still, you off. No, nope. am I? Am I? Have I finished? Nope. It's. Uh, I can mute end. you. It's great. <laughs> it's brilliant. I think it's the best. Certainly. Right. So for the listeners, I have muted Mark because he's going on too much, and I can't even hear him either. So he might still be banging on about Andor. Let's check in and see if he is. So what I'll do- and he was so, I have muted him again because he needs to learn his lesson. You done? I'll just put put this back in, <laughs> and I'll just re-record <laughs> everything I've just said when I'm doing the edit. But let's carry on. What's next? <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Um, but just before coming to to record, um, HBO drop. The tra- the first trailer, and our first proper look, really, at mm. their television show, The Last of Us, mm-hmm. which has been, you know, long, eagerly awaited. It's an adaptation of the 2013 PlayStation game, starring Pedro Pascal, because he's been out of work for too long. Uh, now, do we actually see his face this time? I'm, and it's not just a stuntman walking around. And... It, it's him. It's him. Oh, it's good. Yeah, that, that's coming out next year. We've got Bella Ramsey as Ellie, who is um, in Game of Thrones. That's right. So, uh, interesting casting. Um, but so far, it looks quite true to the game. The style. The clickers are there, which scared the shit out of me in the game. And I still haven't finished Last of Us 2. 
but I've played Last of Us Remastered and it is phenomenal. It's it's visually stunning for mm. for a game and it does feel like watching a movie and it's it's yeah. really emotional. So if they can capture that in the telly telly program show, okay. Um, but it's not out until next year. Yeah, that's a shame. From my perspective, I've never played the game. I'm obviously aware of the game and aware it's a huge thing, but I don't PlayStation, I Xbox, so never played the game. Um, and to be fair, it's not the kind of game I'd normally play anyway. However, this as a TV show, this looks fantastic. Um, produced by uh, Craig Mazin, I think his name is, who produced the um, Chernobyl miniseries for HBO which I think was one of the finest pieces of television of the last five years. I'd agree. It was just, what a phenomenal show. I, I keep going back to that. Just just an incredible show. This looks great. I think it, it's got a really nice kind of scope. You know, you, you, if you're making a, as I say, I'm not familiar with the game, but from the show, it looks like a kind of post-apocalyptic, don't know if it's quite zombies or mutated, kind of creatures. I, I don't want to give it away because it's quite sure. it's quite refreshing to find out. Because, you okay. know, we're in the world of The Walking Dead, I won't die. Yeah. And yeah. this, going into that game, because my friend had played it through loads of times on the original run. I then mm-hmm. got a PlayStation 4 and got the remastered version. Mm-hmm. And I believe they're rebuilding it again for the PS5. Oh, anyway, oh, okay. so it's had three re- real releases. And I, yeah. I digress. Um... Yeah, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. But you know, looking at Craig Craig Mazin's pedigree, he was the writer. Yeah. Sorry, writer of scary movies three and four, and he directed superhero movie. Well, let's let's forgive him those trespasses against us. He he did also um, help write Hangovers Part Two and Three, which are very uh, good films. Again, again, let's not forget he's he also wrote Chernobyl. Which which makes I mean, up I'm sorry, movie. that's factually correct. So it is factually correct. <laughs> he didn't have to make shit up. Really, but I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah, <laughs> it's still anyway. It looks great. I like they've got the scope. The visuals look cool. Um, both actors are great. Yeah, looking forward to that. Definitely. So, what have we been watching for the last couple, three or four weeks? Well, then? we've had a few more hmm. House of the Dragons. We've had, I think, I as time of recording, episode six has just come out, which uh-huh. I have watched. I plan on watching it after recording. Okay. So um, that's gone down well. How are you finding it so far? I'm sold on it. Mm. I think I, I went into it with quite low expectations after the end of, what was it, season eight? eight season eight of Game of Thrones. Mm. Um, and, you know, we've had, what, two or three years off from that. Yep. It got announced and I went, eh, I don't care. I actually care. Yeah. I think I've said that in the last a couple of episodes ago, but it's it's refreshing enough to not be Game of Thrones, but yeah. it's so obviously Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think I was the same. Yeah, it was like, oh, okay, they're doing more. Of course they are. They, they, you know, of course they are. It's a business. <laughs> They'll do as much as they can. Um, but yeah, within... Within that, I, I like what they're doing with it. They, they're keeping it fresh enough, as you say. I think the scale of it is great. Episode 6, no spoilers, but it's been well publicised that there is a big time jump 
between episode five and episode six. So there's a couple of um, actor changes, which, do you know, ordinarily would be really jarring, but the casting people deserve a medal because the actors, like the young versions versus the new older versions, are so well matched, you forget quite quickly. Good, okay. That, you know, that as good as those, the original performers are in the first half of the season, their replacements, they look so... look like them and then take the performances and the characters then to the next level of like, in terms of like the... The, the how they would have developed in that kind of 10, I think it's a 10 year gap. So it's like, right, after 10 years of dealing with this shit, this is what <laughs> this is now yeah. what they're like kind of thing. And you completely buy it in terms of like the, their no bullshit approach and, and and how they are. It works really well. Good. I'm really looking forward to the botching it. And again, really yeah, good episode. Really good episode. It's, it's enough of Game of Thrones to be Game of Thrones, but it quite yeah. happily sits on its own. Anyway. Next up, Power Rings. Power Rings, Lord of the Rings, Power of the Rings, Rings of Power. Oh, the Hobbit, Hobbity, Hobby Hops. Uh, it's a yeah. slog. I'm, yeah. It's yeah. pretty. It's a billion dollars. Well done, Bezos. But uh, I think... <laughs> no, it, it, uh, I, uh, I just want it to do something. Mm. I've only watched the first two episodes. Oh, for fuck's sake, Mark. We're a... <laughs> Cultured podcast, son. Now, I, I, I enjoyed them, but they didn't leave me in any rush to watch anymore. Well, may I refer you to the beginning of this segment where you told mm. me to stick to Andor? I would love to tell you to stick with Rings of Power, <laughs> but I can't because I value yeah. you and I value your time. <laughs> it's I'm watching it because I want to see what it answers, and so far it's mm. just fucking boring granted yeah. real Tolkien fans might be going that's the point it's building it's world building I get that yeah, but I think yeah. they world built yeah. enough in two episodes yeah I mean I don't have any problem with any of it in terms of the casting or any of that stuff or what it's I doing don't. with with I the don't. stock because I'm not a huge Tolkien book fan right so I haven't got a clue what it's doing in terms of condensing the history together because apparently it's moving things around in the chronology and compressing a thousand years into a few hundred etc i don't care okay <laughs> it's absolute from from that perspective couldn't give a shit my problem is it, it it's just not gripping it's like house of the dragon within the first half of that i was like i like these characters I can see who's the scheming ones. I can see who are the ones who are working behind the scenes and who's going to be the hard ass and, and all that kind of thing. And I want to spend time with them. Mm. Whereas in, in Power Rings, it's like, oh, yeah, there's, there's just none of that grab you by the throat and kind of grab your attention kind of thing. I'm worried was that where that was going. Yeah, agreed, <laughs> agreed. I'm sure when I've got a hungover Sunday afternoon <laughs> where I just cannot leave the sofa, 
I will You'll torture yourself up. by watching that. Yeah. Nice one. But it looks beautiful, don't get me wrong. You know, oh, yeah. say, the money's there on the screen, right? It's interesting to come back to the point you made about the casting. Mm. So it's no... If you have watched it, it's no shock that there's characters in Rings of Power who mm. show up in the Lord of the Rings films. Mm. And I'm not buying the casting. The only one I don't buy is... Oh, Christ, hang on a second. What's this fucking name? No, go on, sound it. The, the bloke... The, the guy, you Elrond. know, point, pointy Elrond. Yeah, he's no Hugo even. I'm sorry. Now, here's the thing, right? I am sure I read that the original actor cast for that role was Will Poulter. Oh, but did he drop it for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? I'm not sure why he pulled out. Um, scheduling conflicts of some kind. Right, okay. Right. He wanted to get swole for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume um, 3. As an actor, you're very used to things not going your way and have to adapt accordingly, he said, of leaving Lord of the Rings. I'm more used to things not going my way, so I just had to shake that one off. And I... Yeah, it sounded like it was possibly a conflict with Guardians. It was scheduling conflicts. Whether it was Guardians or something else, I'm not sure. But he... Would he's have been got, far more convincing because he looks more like he's Hugo got, Weaving. He's got a Hugo Weaving mouth. That's the and the arching eyebrows and yeah. all that kind of thing. If he'd have been Elrond, you'd have bought I would it have more. Bought that one hundred percent. And I know that they are at pains to say this is not connecting to the films, but but it's a continu- It's a prequel. It's a prequel. It is, and they've got Alan Howe, who was one of the concept artists from the films. He's there. They've clearly carried over some of the motifs. Well, Howard Shaw's done the music, hasn't he? So he's done the main theme, yeah. But they've clearly carried over some of the design motifs, like the the dwarves looks, like the kind of blocky yeah. armor yeah. kind of thing. So as much as they're saying we're not, these are not linked to the films. They're not doing a good job of hiding it. They are maybe not officially contractually they can't be connected to the films that's one of the reasons peter jackson's not involved but visually they clearly are there's a visual consistency with the films and i think if will poulter would have stayed as elrond i would be f- i'd get I'd, I'd buy that character a lot more the guy who's playing him was the guy who played the young ned stark in, in yes. some episodes of uh, game of thrones right yes He's a fine actor. Oh, yeah. But I don't buy him as Elrond. No. At all. And I think that's because, in your mind, Elrond is Hugo Weaving. Correct. Now, Moving on. So, Moving right. on. All right. We've got a lot to fit in. You're in a rush. All right. We've got a lot to fit in. That's what your mum said. Ooh. Right. <laughs> Welcome like to Rexton. Right. As a proud Welsh man, mm. there is a distinct divide between North Wales mm. and South Wales. Mm. But what we can always agree on, both North Walesians and South Walesians, is putting Wales on the map is important. Yep. And I think Ryan and Rob, and thank God they say how to pronounce his sur- uh, Rob's surname, because I've been calling him Muc- McHelenry for years. <laughs> Rob McElhenney. Yep. What they are doing is putting Wales on the map. Yep. Still, on Twitter, people are saying Wales is a lovely part of England. 
<sighs> Bless them. Which the most well, the most recent episode that I've watched, which is one behind current, is that special in between you one oh, teaching yeah. us about whales. Yes. Which again, the internet thought was insulting. I didn't. I thought it was quite funny and interesting, and I learned something. I'm bloody from that country. I, I thought it was because obviously, for for people who are not familiar, this is basically a documentary show following Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' purchase of a very, is it the fifth league? Something it's very the National low. League, and that is all I could tell you, because I'm yeah. a huge fan about football. Yeah, exactly. I, I can't give a shit about football. But that's what, that's, that is why this program's so good. So it, they, they basically bought this very low-tier Welsh team, Wrexham, uh, kind of almost sight unseen. Without ever <laughs> they, they still haven't really re- uh, uh, re- announced in the show why they did it, other than th- they wanted a team to try and take up through the ranks. Yeah, and and it was I think it was Rob McElhenney kind of instigated it, but obviously, well, he's very open. He needed money. He Big needed money. Money. And and Ryan Reynolds was was kind of persuaded to join in, and and the, so the show takes them through this kind of thing of you know this is a club that had been through a lot of problems that the ground where they play is the oldest surviving international football stadium in the world which in and of itself is incredible Impressive. when you think about it um but the club had been through mismanagement etc at the time it was bought at the time they came on the scene it was basically being run by a trust that had been set up by the fans struggling financially etc etc so it, it kind of joins them as they're having those early discussions to buy the club and then follows them through weekly as they're kind of trying to change the teams and the managers and the players and, and sponsorship and, and and get more publicity. And I don't give two shits about football, but it's no. a fantastic programme. It's they just are, one of the... What I take you from ones. it... Go on, go on. No, 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 go you, on. You, you know, no, I, I give way to the right honourable gentleman. It's just one of those programs that is like just nice and cuddly, and you can tell that at, the, at first they're doing it because they want, like you say, Rob McElhenney, and they just want a team that they can take up the ranks. Then they're at the point where, oh shit, what have we done? Yeah, that because, happens very quickly because, like. The pitch had just been replaced, but it was no good. So they had to spend another half a million. Then they realised that they didn't actually own the stadium. stadium. They had to buy the stadium. And then half of it's falling down. So now they have to spend money to rebuild it. And, and it's like, oh, Christ, not another thing. But now they're getting <laughs> I know to the how, point. I know how that feels at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But now they're kind of getting to the point where, like, no, they're really fucking doing this. And, and this is what I was going to say. Exactly. And, that is yeah. exactly what I was about to say. They they have listened to the fans mm-hmm. and they are doing it for the right reasons. They, they're not in it for the money. Otherwise, they would have bought a Premier League team. Um, if they were in it for the money, they wouldn't have done it in the first place. <laughs> you're right. They would have just opened another bottle of gin. gin Sorry, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, you're right. It's it's nice. And again, I like seeing Wales put, being put on the map. Um Cardiff has been mentioned once, and that was by Charlotte Church in that special episode. And you know, Cardiff's the capital city of Wales. They could have banged on about South Wales, but they haven't. They've kept it very North Walian. 
that's great. It's very good. Give it a go. It's really good. Really you, don't, you don't have to like football at all. It, oh, it, it, it's funny, and it's re- you know, it's real life at the end of the day. It's hard to it's hard to forget actually that this is a mm. documentary, not a mockumentary. And you know, one of the interesting things is that the, obviously the the fans are involved in the documentary as well in terms of interviews, and then you speak to a lot of the lifelong fans. And what's interesting is they are they don't buy that kind of Hollywood megastar bullshit. Oh no, right? not at all. They they tell them exactly what they think. The only thing <laughs> about... I didn't like about it mm. was in the first episode or two. Their UK is it Humphrey? Yes. So yeah. he he he's Rob's right hand man. He's a writer on Mythic Quest, which is also a fantastic television program on mm. Apple TV Plus. He's it, Rob's sort of confidant the UK side, and he walks into the team room and says, "I'm Humphrey. I'm your man. You know, if anything yeah. you need, you come to me." As soon as he leaves, they start pissing themselves. Yes. I didn't like that. What. I appreciated that because it wasn't trying to gloss over anything in terms of we're going to swoop in and we're going to save the club and you can trust us. It shows that no, there was... Sorry, no, I didn't like the fact that the players started to take the piss, basically, as soon as oh, he left I the see, room. I see. No, no, right. I thought Humphrey did the right thing by going in and going, we're not here to tell you how to do your job. We're here to help gotcha. you do your job. Sorry. Gotcha. No, I was it coming wasn't at it the from fact the... they showed it. It was the no, fact no, no. that the players did it. No, no, it's good right. that they're showing, you know, call a spade a spade. You know, yeah. they're, they're showing yeah. it for how real it is, but I just thought the players were being dickheads. Because, you know, yeah. Rob, Rob, and, Rob and Ryan are throwing so much money to this place mm, mm. that they really didn't have to. No, that's true. But there that's we true. are. It's very good. It is. It is. Great, great show. Um... So, just started uh, last a uh, few days ago. All the episodes are on iPlayer. Is Kunk on Earth? What on earth is that? That's it. It's, have, you, have you heard of the character Philomena Kunk? I have. So, played by Diane Morgan. Um, and she now has uh, a history series. Five she, she had a geography series. last time, didn't she? Was it- That's right. Yeah. And it's the same kind of stuff again, just... It's that kind of mix of actual, factual things with with just complete tangents and, and stuff. Um, it, and then interviews with historians and so on, where she asks questions that are alternate between completely stupid questions and actually profoundly deep. Are the professionals um, that they, she interviews in on it? No. Right, okay, cool. No, I have a feeling that some of them must know who she is. Because, well, there's one, for example, Jim Al-Khalili is on there. He's a he's a British scientist and professor of, of boffinry. And he's had, he's been on various TV shows, science TV shows and radio shows. So as a media savvy person... I'm sure he's aware of her, but when it comes to the interviews themselves, they're not prepared in any way. <laughs> cool. Okay. She just and obviously then there are they have American ones on, and British ones who are far more stuffy and non-media savvy, who are probably thinking, "Who is this fucking maniac asking <laughs> these questions?" Um, but it's just it, it's done in in such a 
completely straight way, like straight. How they do it, I'd love to see the bloopers because how she does it, <laughs> the straight face. I've got no. Idea. I've always thought that about Sasha Baron Cohen. Uh, you know, love him or loathe him. Exactly. Bloody hell. Exactly. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll put, uh, add it to the list. It's great. Now you've also been rewatching something you've already watched. Yeah, we'll go I. On. We'll give it another mention. It's been. Uh, been a tough old couple of months in the world of Dan. Mm. Uh, I don't mind mind admitting that. Um, so, me and the half wanted to watch something that was, like you say, a big warm hug. Yes. So, what did we watch? The fictional version of Welcome to Wrexham, Ted Lasso. <laughs> I just just wanted to rewatch it, and mm. just, yeah, um, loved it just as much the second time through. Yeah. It's just such a nice program I'm so looking forward to series 3 which is annoyingly the end of it but yeah. um, to tie into some fact, actual news um, AFC Richmond is playable in FIFA 23 of all bloody things oh I, fantastic I might have to buy a FIFA game which is disgusting oh I'll resist that temptation <laughs> you go well done but no but it's, it's, it's awesome it's it awesome. is a great show isn't it I've not rewatched it since it was on but but I did find myself though slipping into Roy Kent sorting some things out the other day I mean I go fuck you know and yeah yeah but you know I think if everybody could take a leaf out of Ted Lasso's book you know it's fictional don't get me wrong Mm. but if everybody was just a little bit nicer saw the good in everyone Mm. the world Mm. would be a better place anyway that's too heavy for this kind of podcast so let's move on let's move on so um, let's get our interview in here interview baby interview so you will recall, uh, I think uh, this was on our last episode, we had a chat with Warren Bodensky, um, who came on at that time to chat with us about autograph collecting. And he just did, refused to leave the studio, so he's been you here know, for three weeks. That's it. So we've, we've been pushing, you know, plates of... Uh, <laughs> porridge. Porridge under the door, <laughs> and, he's, and he's just kind of sat there getting feral, basically. Like all collectors um, are. No offence, no offence, I'm joking, I'm joking. But it, it was a great chat, and... Um, We've learned a few things there about an area that we've not really covered before. But Warren is also uh, an independent filmmaker working on, I suppose it were generous to call them low-budget films, um, but but working on very low-budget uh, films. Um, but nevertheless, he's made a success of it. He's had you know some distribution on streaming platforms and uh, done quite well on on you know kind of straight to DVD markets so i had a chat with him uh, a few days ago about that went into a little bit of detail about his history and what goes into making you know okay 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 again. shut up about it Let, let's drop the interview oh, in here because you're building so it up too bloody big you're so impatient I, again i'm so excited for the quiz i want <laughs> I want I, I want everyone to listen to Warren's interview. Don't get me wrong. Now you're waffling on. Can we? Can you stop now, please? Yeah. Like, can we just anyway? Right. Interview. Here's Warren. So we're back with Warren Bedensky, who we we spoke to uh, regarding autograph collecting. But Warren is also uh, an indie filmmaker. Short films, music videos. He's also done a couple of uh, feature-length films as well. So I wonder then, Warren, could you just give us a, a bit of an introduction to your background, how you got into the, the industry, and, and a bit about your experience there? Uh, yeah. So I um, basically grew up um, as an army kid moving around and stuff, and I always had films 
growing up, I always had an interest in them. And um, so I always wanted to be in filmmaking. It started off wanting to be an actor. And then um, I think it was Jurassic Park that came out and I really understood what a director does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I always got nervous performing, like, you know, because when you're young, the only sort of thing to do is drama class and stuff. Mm. And it always like freaked me out, but I was really good at like uh, tailoring scenes for other people. Oh right, okay. So, so I learned that directors were a thing, and then that was always what I wanted to do. And um, I first got my taste in college, where um, we I took film studies, and there was a couple of little practical pieces. Um, bought myself a computer, a camera, made silly little shorts with friends. You know, little comedy things. Mm. Um, the idea was like, if people laugh at it, then it's supposed to be laughed at anyway because it's a comedy. <laughs> so <True. laughs> it's a win-win. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I moved to London to seek my fame and fortune because there wasn't um, a huge amount going on in um, in my hometown. So I come from Swindon. Mm. And so I went off to London, bought myself a like prosumer type camera. Mm-hmm. Um, it was essentially the same cameras they used in Crank 2. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because um, when Neville Dean and Taylor were making things, they uh, they had big things about using, like, consumer equipment and mm. prosumer stuff. And the ca- and they actually, like, named the model in the making of Crank 2. It's like an XH-A1 or something. Yeah. And so I met, and that was, like, a camera that, you know, wasn't tens of thousands. It was only, like, a grand or something. Right. And so I managed to pick that up. I was like, great, I have the same stuff they used in Crank. I can definitely make movies now. <laughs> <laughs> Went to London, did odd jobs, and just applied for everything on one of those, um, like, sort of filmmaking websites. So you yeah. find actors or crew on these things. Lots of people, like, starting out. And that's sort of how I kind of got started. Eventually found some other people. We were doing in the same kind of boat, just trying to put something together, mm-hmm. and we really lucked out on our first film, actually. Yeah. Now, our lead actor wrote it because he was auditioning and he didn't. Um, he just wasn't getting parts, right. <laughs> so he wrote something for himself, gangster mm-hmm. flick, and he essentially directed most of it because it was such a wild thing where we just got together on weekends, picked a couple of like scenes, mm. shot them. It was supposed to be a director, but like he ended up breaking his leg and oh, running right. out. And then it was just like a different person was in charge every single day. Right. <laughs> and uh, it eventually got picked up, which was so weird. We were making it as a um, as like a calling card sort of movie. Like we've made this for no money. Give us money, and yeah. we'll make a proper movie. Right. And then we lucked out that um, an acting class he was in had a producer in it who was in need of a film. Okay. Um, gave us a bit of money to fill in an extra third of the movie. We made like a 45-minute film. Yeah. He gave us a bit of money to make an extra third, and we made a film that got released called Hooligans at War North versus South. Okay. A camera operator and editor on it, officially. Right. And, uh, so who was that then? Maybe I'll get into this a little bit more in, in, as we go along. But was was that then given um, a, a proper distribution? You know how how many people kind of got? Was it cinema screening anywhere, or was it straight to video, or or how did that get released? 
So the the release was um, definitely like straight to DVD and streaming. Hmm. Um, but I think we did do a screen. Oh no, it was the next one we did a screening of. Actually, had like a cast screening went out of cinema for a film called Essex Boys: Law of Survival. Hmm. And I only did sort of like camera work on. But uh, yeah, we managed to get into shells. It was like there in Asda and Tesco and H and B, and then CX. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> so when now you've obviously gone on since then and and, and made some more more films and um, I, I think is, am I right in thinking that Simon, which people can see on Netflix now, you wrote and directed that one. Is that right? Yeah. So that's my like feature film debut as a director and writer. Oh, okay. So. So obviously, I mean, in, in terms of budgets here, we're talking kind of at the low end of low budget. Oh, yes. Like know. Very much micro budgets. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, please don't feel you need to give me any figures, but I, I'm imagining here, are, are these, is the funding here coming from friends and family? Is it from investors? Are there kind of funding from like, lottery funds or bfi something like that where do you get the the, the funds together to, to make something like that so um it varies slightly on all of them actually so like mm. hooligans was just us running around you know with just friends you know putting cameras around and then looking out and getting an investor who needed you know a movie and gave us a couple of grand i think to mm-hmm. shoot 30 extra minutes of film for that okay and simon is purely like friends and family so we did a little indiegogo but that kind of kind of flopped but we mm. still went ahead and you know called in all the favors mm. traded bus tickets and fed everyone to make that happen and i think essex boys they actually managed to pre-sell because essex boys is apparently a big genre in its own right there's, there's been a few Similar sounding films, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, football hooligan films is like a big thing. So That's they actually right. had to pre-sell a couple of them. Okay. So a distributor got involved and fronted up the cash on, on that one. Okay. So when you're writing a script then for something like Simon, which, as you say, a kind of micro-budget, are you kind of writing the script with kind of everything in it and hoping for the best when it comes to funding or are you looking around and kind of going right well I've, I've got this location that i know i can use so let's write some scenes that can use that location for example or yeah like simon especially was um written so simon originally was a short film hmm. um about 30 minutes long or 20 20 30 minutes long i thought uh, it was my first crack at a serious film mm-hmm really like my own serious film. So I was like, what do I have? Like I was renting a house in London um, and my roommates happened to be filmmakers and they were off. So they were never home. So it's like, I have a run of a house, you know, for like all the time, which is mm. super rare. It's got a like mini basement. Um, I can access kitchen knives. Fake blood is not hard to make. Mm-hmm. And there was a pound shop that just constantly had like Halloween stuff and decorated <laughs> stuff. Right. So you could get sheets, you know, the plastics or like Dexter wrapping. Oh, right. Yes. Masks and those white disposable boiler suits. Yeah. And like for nothing. And then it was just a case of finding people, mm. um, which in London is very easy. There's always like somebody who's breaking out 
And as long as you write well and you're very honest to people, they tend to sort of gravitate to you and you find the right person. Mm, mm. So in terms then of sarcasting then, let, let's go on to that. So obviously I, I can see in the lead actor in Simon, uh, Chris Bell, isn't it? So he's mm. been in a few things, hasn't he? He was in Essex Boys as well. And was he a, was he an extra or something in EastEnders as well, I think? He's... Uh, yeah, he was... Like in the bar or something. Yeah, in the Queen Vic or something. I, I think I saw a, a clip of him there. So you've obviously got some relatively experienced actors then, and, and I'm guessing a few more kind of amateur. So do you go through, you know, like a, an audition process for all of them, or are there some that you just go, well, I know I want that person. They've agreed, so they're in. And then... Uh, and then Yeah, a little bit... As- most of it became auditions for stuff, but like Chris, um, he came to me when I first like was just putting my name towards everything of like, mm. I have a camera, like, let me help shoot stuff. Mm. And he was one of the people that called up. Um, he was the one that had the, the gangster film that eventually became Hooligans at War. Right. Um, you know, he'd written that for himself. And then it was kind of a trade-off when we were making that for him, I was just sort of pitching him the ideas like, hey, you don't fancy playing a serial killer in a film? He's like, I'll play anything, mate, obviously. <laughs> it's an actor. He can do, he can do the yeah. lot, yeah. <laughs> sounds great. And so I pitched uh, Simon to him. He's like, yeah, 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 it sounds amazing. And so that was one of the roles where it's like, okay, he's a friend. I can pick that. And then for, like, the main role of Sarah, it was a case of, like, auditioning, just popping up. The thing I think at the time I used Star Now because it was like the beginner's um, website kind of mm. thing for castings. A lot of people have not done stuff before, but they're studying or they're interested. Oh, okay, like, right. It's gone a lot more corporate now. Like there's a lot more so things. If you're not sort of just doing a movie where people are talking to each other and you want a bit of blood or sex or violence things, mm. um, they sort of like expecting people to be like on the ladder to sort of um, make those films. Gotcha. Right. Which I get, because there's a lot, of, a lot of skeevy people about. Mm. But um, that's how we ended up meeting um, Katie, um, Katie Alexander-Tom, who plays Sarah. Like, she just auditioned for it, and uh, she was the best at the auditions. She, she, she's she been in quite a few things, hasn't she, as well? I think... Um, she's yeah, she's up... been cropping up. She came yeah. up in Game of Thrones. That that's was a right. surprise yeah. <laughs> to see her there. It's like... I know her. <laughs> and I said, the distributor said, can we put that she's in Game of Thrones on the poster? <laughs> like, she's in it for 10 seconds. So like, yeah, but they don't know that. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so you've, kind of, you've got your locations, you've got your cast, and obviously the, the crews are going to be quite small, I imagine. So in terms of your, fi- your kind of filming schedule, I, I think there's, to my knowledge as an outsider, there's generally two ways it goes with a micro-budget film. Either you shoot everything in a week and it's done, it's kind of done. Or, you know, there's stories like Peter Jackson when he was making his first film, um, Bad Taste, was filmed with friends over, over on, on, and he only filmed on weekends over a mm. couple of years, right? So are your schedules kind of quick let's get it done as quickly as possible and, and you're kind of in and out in a week or two or or just sometimes things take a little bit longer or how does um, that normally work out yeah it's usually the plan shoot as quick as possible so mm. we um when we did the short film we did that in two days so okay, we were right. all, um high up though we can shoot 30 minutes in two days 
Mm. Yeah. So, and especially with sort of digital cameras, you can use low light, like so you don't need a lot of lights to yeah. make it look good and capture it. Um, so when we did the feature film, Simon, I managed to get two weeks like straight off work. Mm. So we had ten days and like two weekends that we could, you know, add if we um if we needed to, and. On like the third day, the schedule went to absolute shit. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've forgotten what happened. I remember the first day it rained on us and we spent like most of the day, like we had six scenes ready to go that day and yeah. we shot one. Cause our, oh, right. Okay. Lovely producer Joe managed to find us umbrellas eventually and we just had like six people holding that, umbrellas. Is that over the, the scene with, with the, uh, the police talking to the reporter? Yeah. 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 So that was like day one. That was actually like a different location because we were originally shooting somewhere else. Mm. And it was the day Peaches Geldof died. And we we're in the village where she died. And we had police tape and high visits. Oh. And people thought we were part of that. And then right. We got, right. Uh, thrown out of our location because the workers were distracted by us. God, bloody hell. Right. And then we managed to find another one. And set up quickly and just shoot quick. And then yeah. I think a couple of the actors got paid jobs because we weren't really paying, just like covering expenses and things. Yeah. But they had to go off and take them, and that cost us days. And so we shot like, I think, five days in a row. Yeah. And then the last five days went over the next six months on weekends. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So a real mix of, a real mix of yeah. both then. Yeah, them both. And uh, I definitely recommend trying to do it all in a block if you can. Yeah. Um, so did, did the second block then take so long simply because it was trying to fit into everyone's different schedules and things like that? Yeah. yeah. Literally, it's like um, we didn't really have much crew. So it's like me and my DP, um, Keith Huckfield, who was like doing every other job as well. And we had mm. a our producer Joe, who's a friend of mine, she um, was basically holding the microphone half the time, right? And um, and then trying to get like two actors in the same room together mm. when they're trying to get around their survival jobs and things, it was just a nightmare. You'd have one person who was free for like an entire month, yeah, and the other yeah. person wouldn't be free for you know another two months, and that was literally how, <laughs> how it took so long. It's just getting three people in a room together. So, I mean, is that literally a case of you have to wait till you get them all together or do you just shoot your reverse angles and hope they all edit together well or rewrite scenes to make them a phone call instead of face-to-face? Or, or you know? um, Back then, I didn't think about um, just shooting the reverses and then putting it together afterwards. Mm. Um, I actually did that on the film I'm working on now, which has helped save time. <laughs> right. And confused everyone because a lot of people don't do that at this level. Oh, right. It's actually okay. pretty interesting to see um, people not know it. And I really only picked up on it from watching the extras on From Dust Till Dawn, where they shoot entire scenes. And Robert Rodriguez is explaining, like, none of those actors are in the same room together. They're mm. just talking off camera. Mm. And you never know. Um, but yes, on, the, on Simon, didn't do that. But I did change a few things to phone calls. <laughs> Oh, right. <laughs> a couple of scenes ended up being phone calls that should have been people in the room together. Yeah. Well, it all goes, it all, I suppose if, if you don't know, that's not how it was meant to be, then you wouldn't know, would you? So mm. that, that, 
that kind of works out. So I guess once you've finished the filming, then it's just down to editing. And is that, again, from an outsider point of view, I would imagine that I remember, I remember Robert Rodriguez when he was talking about filming the first mariachi film because he had a limited amount of film stock and a limited amount of money. He he talked about this thing he called editing in camera, where mm. he kind of knew exactly what shots he needed, and he'd start the camera, film, and stop the camera immediately. Mm. And so there was, you know, there are no deleted scenes for that film. There are no outtakes, because what is shot is what he used. So when, although you've got a bit more freedom and flexibility when you're shooting digitally, time, I guess, is still of the essence. So are you normally kind of filming it quite tightly in terms of the number of takes and things or you know when you get to the editing is there a lot to work through or or is your kind of initial cut often fairly close to the end product um i pretty much shoot to edit i quite i sort of see how i want the scenes in my head mm. so there's not usually a lot of um different versions shots so it's quite tight um I usually, I first started doing the Fincher thing of like doing loads of takes, mm. but I found very quickly that, you know, past take three, I've usually got what I want from my actors. Yeah. So I very quickly stopped, um, stopped doing that and mm. just going with when I feel it's right, it's right. And uh, so, yeah, there's not usually a lot to work through. I did have one day where I pretty much had to shoot two, um, literally like the cuts because um we were in the middle of nowhere and we started running out of battery oh right <laughs> <laughs> yeah for some reason the batteries didn't charge properly the night before and okay. uh, out in the park and it's like literally like sit down think very carefully about what angles we need because we could probably get off you know yeah 20 minutes of filming before the batteries are gone <laughs> yeah okay do, do you only film digitally now then or have you ever shot on film or is it just uh, something you missed as a timing wise when you were coming when you were starting out yeah completely missed um shooting on film um i've shot on mini dv which mm. is what the short was shot on and then i've just been digital um ever since um i don't think i'll ever get to shoot on film um and i'm quite happy shooting on digital like i think digital looks you know pretty close to film mm-hmm. um there's a lot that, and especially the the type of movies I'm making at the moment, like they don't need, to, they don't need that super saturation that you get on the film. Yeah, like, it's a really rich look, and I'm making very sort of, um, what's the term like dark movies. Yeah, so a more desaturated, high mm-hmm. contrast look is kind of, um, what digital kind of excels at, or mm. it, at least like for me, you know, I find that it works and. Yeah, just being at this level or where I'm very hands-on, I find that um, digital is easier to control. Because mm. a film, you, you're in the hands of your DP or your cameraman knowing exactly what's going on because you can't see it. You can only get approximation and then you have to wait till it's processed before you yeah. can even see if there's a mistake. But yeah. my digital, I can just like roll back because I edit and bin color grading myself. Mm. You know, I know what I can sort of pull out of what's in the um, picture as mm. well. Mm. So once that's all together then, 
and you've, you've got your film. You then, I, I think, I think you said that you had one, one or two where you'd got money from a distributor in advance, so kind of pre-sale, and you guaranteed a distribution. But say you've got your film finished, and it's like, okay, now I need to get it out there. What, what's that process like? I'm, I'm, I'm imagining none of the big labels are really kind of your targets, but there are quite a few little independent ones, aren't they, distributing those kind of movies on, on you know, the indie stuff. So do you approach them? Do they kind of go out to you? and Or, or how does that work, that process? I'm, I'm actually going through it uh, now with my second uh, directorial uh, feature where I'm sort of approaching labels and found some wonderful, like, um, addresses and things online that's managing to get to the right emails mm. uh, for them. So just sort of packaging it. Essentially, um, I found, or well, the way I've been told that's best to do it is if you're emailing things is to keep it as short and sweet as possible, like a little introduction, mm-hmm. the link to the film, and then like all your gump underneath because someone's more likely to click the link and sort of like look at 10 minutes of it. Got you. Look, yeah. Um, it's a very... It's a very daunting sort of process. It's very time-consuming sort of thing. It's not the most fun. Um, mm. A lot of the times you just get ignored, obviously. You get a couple of replies and like you'll probably get more rejections than not for a while. Mm. About the same time, I'm uh, applying for the festivals. So mm. I feel like I have a bit more, um, a bit more luck at the festivals uh, when it comes out there. Mm. So... Um, but for the first one, Simon, I like really lucked out. The director of, or who we got to direct the extra scenes for um, Hooligans at War, a guy named Stephen M. Smith, mm. um, runs a distribution company, uh, Greenway Entertainment. And we just got talking one day and he took me out for a meal and asked about my film. And I showed it to him and he was like, yeah, I think I can sell this. And he did. He got it on just about every like VOD platform there is. Oh, that's fantastic. As I said, you're on Netflix, obviously. Mm. I'm assuming, again, you don't have to go into the figures, but I'm assuming the Netflix thing is like a one-off payment for a set amount of time that they'll stream it. Whereas there's there are other platforms, I guess, there are the kind of, you can buy or rent the film digitally or, or what. So do you kind of get some regular checks in the post to say someone's, you know, a few people have bought the film or what what do you see kind yeah. of long term in terms of the the income that one of these films might might bring in? Or or is uh, all yours kind of upfront when the deal is done, you get a lump sum and then that's it? Uh at the moment, so the Netflix thing where I'm waiting for my next report to find out what's happened with that. Mm. I know that the film was taken in like a so a lot of these little films get bought up as a group, as a yeah. package deal. Yeah. So you'll find like a distributor put a bunch together and then what, you know, Netflix would usually pay for one film. Um, they will pay that for like 20 of these mm. or something, um, which is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what I understand, it will be just like a lump sum from Netflix. Like they mm. pay out a thing and then it's like a two year lease or license or something. Yeah. And then it um, renegotiates or, it uh, disappears. Mm. Um, like Amazon and things. Um, so I think Amazon charges, you get paid for like every minute or something and it's really dropped. Like 
a few years before my film came out was like the big boom for it. Mm. And then my films like slightly missed it. So I've had uh, in the first couple of years, I got some money from it, but it was mm. kind of like your weekend sort of drinking money. Oh, right. Which is nice. It meant like we managed to, we're essentially in the black technically. Oh, that's good. Um, okay. So <laughs> well, I've that, had a that, few that, friends that, who are bigger releases and their films are still in the red. So I'm technically the most profitable. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's good. I sp- that, that was kind of what I was going to ask as well, because obviously, well, you're not necessarily spending a massive amount of money it's still it's not kind of small change and and you've got people as you say might be kind of just almost you know you're covering their expenses but that that could be it so i goes i suppose it's nice to know that at least you're getting that money back and you've not you've not lost anything at the end of it so i suppose that's yeah. that's good yeah um, that's always at least my plan for anyone that I work with is to try and make sure that they don't lose any money. Yeah. And so, you know, even if we don't gain anything, they haven't lost anything and they have something at least for their show reels and stuff. Well, that's it. Yeah. And I, I suppose then going forwards, when you move on to your next films and, and so on, mm. you've then got a, a reputation of films that have at least returned the money that the investors put in. Right. So you're more likely to get future investment from those or other people, I guess. Yeah. So, you you've mentioned your your next film that you're working on at the moment. Is that Simon Two? It's not. I'm not sure who put that on IMDb. Oh, I have really? a script for Simon Two. All oh, right, but um, but we haven't like done any sort of work on it because uh, just cause, um, the first one's like such a such a small film. Yeah, uh, almost thinking of repurposing the script so that it could be its own movie in its own right. Okay, right. Because okay. it's quite a there's quite a gap between the two ideas mm. like, by sort of design. Because I figured, oh, we'll make something else in between, and then a couple of years down the line, we'll be able to do Simon Two. Yeah. Um. So it's kind of like just sat there, but it's um. Yeah, it's weird uh, that it's there because people ask about it every now and again. It's like, no, I have like. <laughs> So many other things that have come much closer than, I mean, than a, the second Simon. According to IMDb, it's in post-production. So yeah, if it's not uh, you, then someone's been busy, I suppose. Yeah, I'd love to to see it because it's, <laughs> it's a very different title to what I've actually titled um, Simon 2 as well. All right, okay. Yeah, so my... so um, when can we expect to see something from from your next film then how far through are you and um and what's left to to go until it's finished so i'm hoping we can get some kind of thing going next year because we filmed it Uh, we filmed just about all of it just before the pandemic hit then the pandemic hit and a couple of key scenes still needed doing and we managed to change them to phone calls and do a mixture of people not being in the same room together yeah uh, there's a very simple shot in it that's like two people in a bedroom. That's the most complex like VFX shot of the film, <laughs> <laughs> just because I had to put someone on a green screen and oh, like, back right, a focus right. pool all oh. digitally. So you're getting into the special effects side of things as well, then? Yeah, very, very slight things. There's so much you can do on Final Cut and mm. things now that are that be considered like special effects, but they're just very simple as well. Yeah, yeah, like, sort of thing. Um, but yeah, so we were, thought we were finished. I started like sending it to distributors mm. and it's a very surrealist. So it's very David Lynch 
um, kind of thing where it's like a surrealist sort of dreamlike story. Mm-hmm. And it's very much makes the audience try and piece together what's real and what's not. Okay, so right. What's like metaphorical and what's literal. Yeah. Um, and some people say it was a little too much. So we are going back to put in uh, three new scenes. So sort of like prologue and an epilogue. Just okay. a little bit to help push the audience into one idea or the other. And then we're adding an extra uh, horrific violent scene to push it more into horror. Well, that's always good. That's always good. Do you yeah. think there's... Because obviously, you know, there's a, a whole raft of, of films and other projects were, were kind of affected by the pandemic. Do you think... Um, I mean, obviously, you're, you're making some changes there that based on some feedback that you've had, and hopefully that's going to mm. improve the final product. But but would do you worry at all of that kind of thing of you kind of sat there and you kind of maybe over tinker with it or, or you will, the longer you look at it before it's released, the more faults you may perceive in it that you think need fixing. And Oh yeah. Would you absolutely. have? Yeah. It's, um, I um, ended up starting to show like just a core group of people mm. it at various stages. Cause it got to sort of points where, when you stare at something long enough, you're suddenly like looking at films, uh, scenes that are cut quite quickly, and then you're like, "It's too long." I can see all, mm. all the like little s- stops there, but and then you cut it to what you think's gonna look good, and then suddenly everybody's like, "I can't see anything." It's gone by so fast because mm. mm. you sort of get stuck in a bubble. And same things where there was a couple of things that I couldn't fix, so it's like, oh, "I'll show this to an audience to see if they notice it." Yeah. You know, sort of thing, and when they don't, you're like, okay, I can leave it like that. Got it, got and, it. But also, I I kind of have a very, a very sh- strict idea in my head of what I want it to be. Mm. So there's not a huge amount of room to play in post on my films. I I've shot to edit it in a certain way, which can be a pain when my idea like doesn't work and I haven't got anything for safety, and mm. then I have to somehow figure it out. <laughs> mm. And luckily, I've managed to like, each time. That's good. Well, I look forward to seeing what, what the new project is when you've got something to show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and hopefully you'll you'll get some distribution and, and we'll see it before too long. You say that's due next year, hopefully. Yeah. So okay. we've got a couple of festivals lined up in the uh, early end of the year. So okay. uh, we'll get some out, if not physical, at least digital later in the year fantastic i'm looking forward to seeing that that that's fantastic well look thanks again for your time warren um it's been another really interesting chat um i'm kind of fascinated by the uh the the goings on behind the scenes of 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 getting films made uh and you always hear about the, the big scale stuff you know disney put their documentaries on and making the Marvel films and you get all the extra features on DVDs and whatnot, but um, you don't often hear about the smaller scale stuff. So, so that, yeah. that's been really good to know. Um, oh, and hopefully it's inspired a few people out there to, to pick up a camera, get some friends and uh, get, get some ideas down. Yeah. Just go for it. Nobody Absolutely. can stop you. Absolutely. 
The more you uh, do it, the better you'll get. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Well, thank you. All right. Um, that that was brilliant, Warren. Thank you. Um, Excellent. Yeah, I'll. Um, that should hopefully be on the next episode, which is probably going to be end of next week. Um, cool. But I will keep you updated, and uh, I'll I'll let you get on with your evening. Cool. Thank you very much. And like any time, if you ever want to talk about anything in depth, like, yeah, absolutely. And 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 do let me know how you get on with with the new project. Um, you know, when you've got a trailer or anything to show, I'm happy to give it a good plug. Yeah, I will do. So I'm at that awkward stage where it's like I want to talk about it, but I have no like release date or anything. So yeah. <laughs> we'll end up talking about it, and it'll be another year before it comes no, out. That's, and then that's all right. Just just all the uh, gone. keep in touch and drop me a line, and um, yeah, that'll be fantastic. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Right. Thank you now. Cheers. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And there was Warren and Mark. There was Warren. Okay, so, <laughs> right, quiz thank, time. Uh, well, well, let's thank him. Uh, you probably did, yeah. but, you know. No, it was it was a great chat. Um, he's got, as, as he said in the interview, he's, he's got another project that he's currently in post-production on, which should be getting released uh, next year. So we will we'll, uh, keep an eye out for that and uh, maybe have him back or at, at least um, give that a good plug. When it when it does, uh, yeah, but okay, okay, it's right. You've, you've been patient. Okay, it's the Can return. The Let's drop that bloody jingle. Let's dust off the jingle, I should say. Go on then, drop it in. It's Dan versus Mark. It's Dan versus Mark. Quiz time. All right, okay. Quiz it's it, it's the old-fashioned format we've had. It's a trivia quiz. Five questions each. Nice and simple. A lot of humiliation probably awaits us. Okay. Go on, Mark. You've you've got less time on this earth than me. You go first. In the film, Alice, what is Hicks' first name? Lieutenant. I don't know. Uh, Hicks. Hicks, Hicks, Hicks. Do they have a first name? Uh, I don't know, Alex. Dwayne. Dwayne. Okay. Classic American name there. Yeah. yeah. Which one's Hicks? Michael Bean's character. Oh, I like Michael Bean. Okay. Yeah. Very good question. Did not know that. Oh well, no, that's you why they call it trivia. Indeed. I love how I got got an old person joke in there without you berating me as well. Your defeat is all I need. Oh, okay. It took you that the rating long, is the rating is just you know. Oh, I just, I'm just annoyed. I worked really hard on it and didn't. Anyway, um, <laughs> your first question. In the 2000, in the mm-hmm, fuck me. In the first of the franchise, Final Destination. What okay. was Flight 180's destination? Paris. Very good. I hope that wasn't suspense for the sake of it. No, I was trying to think where were they going? Were they going on a they were going on a school trip? Yeah. And it was Paris. Yeah, correct. What was the name of the bad guy in seven? Oh, that's really annoying. Other than Kevin Spacey. I mean, he's a bad guy. That's not quite what I meant. No. The character, not the actor. 
can't have a point for Kevin Spacey because he's a real life bad guy. You can have half a point for oh, Kevin Spacey. I'll but take that. I'll cut. I'm really after the character's name. Uh, I've had Buffalo Bill in my head. That's uh, that that other film. Lines. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for Christ's sake! Pass. John Doe. Uh, that's really annoying. Your turn. I don't know why I suggested to bring the quiz back this morning. I really don't. <laughs> okay. The t- the title role, the titular role, I'm going to say, I'm going to reword the it again. title role. The titular role of 1993's Schindler's List is famously played by Liam Neeson. Yes. Who turned the role down? Ooh. Okay. Would it was it someone who'd worked with Spielberg before? Yeah. Or maybe not. Oh, oh alright then. Was it was it Ray Fiennes because nope. he wanted to play the other character? Nope. Oh, okay. Oh, go on then. It was Harrison Ford. No way. Harrison Ford was quoted to say that people wouldn't have seen his role as Indiana Jones the same way if he'd played Schindler. Was he actually offered the role? I mean, you could Google it. Blimey. Or IMDb it. Well, I'll, I might do later. I'll yeah. have to do a last-minute seamless insertion. <laughs> It'll be but, um, wrong. But wow, Again. okay. Okay. Right. In the film Jaws, yep. what is the name of Quint's boat? Orca. Correct. Yes. Easy point for me there. Boom. What was your question three? Question yep. three. What was the first animated feature to be nominated for Best Picture? Hmm. I think this is going to be wrong because I think this is the first one to win. First one to win was was it not Beauty and the Beast? Well, I want the answer for the first one to be nominated. I'm going to go Beauty and the Beast. I mean, correct. Very good hunch. Oh, okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure if there was another one that'd been nominated but never won before. Okay. Cool. No. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But yeah. Nothing else to add. You know, it was a big success that film. So. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Um. Your next one. What is the highest grossing foreign language film at the US box office? Ooh. There's a few roots here to my logic. Come on. Is it a film where the majority of the language isn't English? Or is it a case of, you know, Eastern cinema? It is a film where none of the characters speak English at all. Right. Because I was going down the route of Inglorious Bastards. Oh, no. No, that wouldn't be classed as a foreign language. No, I know, but I'm sure there's a statistic somewhere. It's like 70%. I don't know. Sure, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. Um, Oh, bloody hell. None of the characters speak English. At all, at any point. Hmm. 
I, I don't know. I don't. I don't watch that kind of cinema, to be honest. So I'll go with Old Boy. No, it's no. the Passion of the Christ. Oh bollocks! I hate this game. <laughs> I really bloody do. But and you suggested it. I know. I I suggested the first time. The first time we ever fucking did it as well. You still haven't learned your lesson, have you? No, I never do. Right, your turn. I don't want to play this game. <laughs> I'd rather watch The Rings of Power again. Oh, um, wow. Okay. What was George Lucas's original last name for Indiana Jones? Smith? Uh, How do you know that? Who doesn't know that? I didn't. <laughs> what Indiana Jones fan doesn't know that? Because do you remember dog. Indiana is named after his dog? Dog. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, such, that was such a funny day. So let's let's remember <laughs> <laughs> who dog. you're talking to here. Yeah, Mr. Dog himself. <laughs> yeah. Fucking right. Then. I, I sometimes question. listen back to that clip just just for laugh. It's well. I I hope it was as funny to the listeners as it was doing it because <laughs> I, I genuinely broke myself doing that. It was so good, so stupid. It was. It was. We, we try and be so professional. <laughs> Start me off again. Right. Last question. Oh. What name? did Michelle Yeoh use in her early Hong Kong film career? Uh, I don't bloody know. <sighs> Trying to guess? I don't even know who Michelle Yeoh is. She was... She's Philippa Georgiou in Star Trek Discovery. She's okay. in Crouching, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Thank you. That's Everything, it. everywhere, all at once. Oh. Michelle Smith? Michelle Kahn. <laughs> I, good for her. I mean, uh... Right then, your, your last... Or I, my last why, question. Why, was, why is that a trivia question? Who cares? Like... I mean, do, do you care? It's that, trivia, what, right? What what Tom? No one what's cares Tom Jones's uh, real name. Hang on a minute. No, I don't care. You, do you just asked me what Indiana Jones' original surname was. Yeah, that's fictional, asking me about of a name of a fictional character. person. At least Michelle Yeoh's a real person. Yeah, but we we know her as Michelle Yeoh. So who cares? Yeah. But in her early career, she was known as Michelle Kahn. Oh, okay, that's cool, an great. Interesting piece of trivia. Is it to yeah. who? Anyone who gives a shit about the art of cinema. <laughs> so clearly not you, you philistine. Ah, uh, well, you know. Ask me your last question and fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I want it after that abuse. <laughs> I hope you get this wrong, you miserable... <laughs> right. True or false? Toto was paid more than the munchkins in The Wizard of Oz. Oh, probably true. Fuck off. Am I right? Yeah. Hey. Bonus do fact. Many, do you want to know how many points you got? No. Bonus fact. The Munchkin actors received $50 a week. Okay. Which was a good wage at the time, apparently. Whilst the fucking dog, well, $125 a week. Do you want to know your score? One and a half. One and a half, yeah. What yeah. was mine? Four. Yay, brilliant. We'll do this again next time. Yeah.
bleep a lot of the uh, abuse out, I'm sure. Because we're a family podcast. We could say fuck, we can't say fuck. Oh, no. No, can't have too many comments. Right, then. <laughs> that would be a great episode title if we didn't have to censor it. <laughs> also. Go on. So that's the end of the quiz. Well done. Well done, Mark. One. Thank you. Thank you. News just in. Oh. News oh. just in. Steelbook Blu-ray is a successful Steelbook website and there's a Slack channel. Get involved. That really pisses me off. Go on. Zavi offering discounts. Uh, not discounts. Well, yes, discounts and refunds mm. for shitly packaged Steelbook books. Yeah. So yeah. We've, we've had a gent say, say that the Jurassic World Dominion has arrived. Big yep. dent in it. And yep. they've just updated us in the channel say they've offered 25% refund. Yep. I think that's their default because I've had that in the past where I had, oh God, it was years ago, it was Arrival. And that that arrived dented. Uh, get um, it? Right. Anyway. And they said, oh yeah, if you want to keep it, we'll give you a 25% refund or a voucher off your next purchase. And I'm like, well, no, because it's still dented to fuck. So <laughs> I'd like a replacement, please. It's like, I'm not going to sell it on, but I do want it mint because that's, yeah, exactly. that's what I expect, the minimum. Exactly. So if I remember rightly, um, they sent me the replacement with a return slip for me to then return the dented one. So I think they are... I often get accused on, on the Twitter sphere of, of being a bit of a Zavi shill because of the steelbook stuff. The, I mean, the fact is they do more exclusive than anyone else. So they, I'm going to report on their stuff more than anyone else, right? Sure. Just numbers, right? However, that said, their customer service at times is atrocious. I think their default for just the least hassle possible is just to be like, oh, like just refund them twenty five percent. They'll keep it. They'll use the voucher next time or whatever. No one has to do anything. From a collector's point of view, that's infuriating because, yeah, you've paid twenty five thirty quid for a steelbook that's 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 fucked to bits. Whether it's Zavi's fault or the post office's fault, is by the by, right? You expect to receive it in decent condition, well packaged. What on earth makes them think you'd still want a dented to fuck steelbook on your shelf? Yeah, uh-huh. you know. So yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that that's a pretty shoddy way of dealing with it. I suppose sometimes, if if the item is genuinely sold out and there are no copies for replacements, that's possibly a different matter. But that's very rare. Nine times out of ten there are copies left over either through cancellations or the payment couldn't be taken so it was never dispatched etc etc there's usually a handful of copies left of most titles and we know that because they they go live again don't they the week of release they go back on the website and you can get them it's very rare i think that they don't have the ability to just replace the thing just replace de- the damn thing. And, like, get the... I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. Send it out as an advanced replacement. So if the customer doesn't send the original damaged one back, they get charged for it. But but there you go. Send it out. Let the customer send the other one back. 
done. If they don't send the other one back, charge them again. Because now they've got two copies. Do you know what I mean? But just this whole thing of like, oh, here's 25% bugger off. <laughs> I, I, I'm not, yeah, I've had that. And I, I'm not surprised at all that people get frustrated by it. Well, talking of buggering off. Yes. I think that's oh, a good that place time, to end isn't it. it. It's that Look at that. Time. Look at that. Look at that. So we didn't get to a topic. We didn't. No. Keep that in no. our back pockets for next time. We will. We will indeed. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Warren for coming to talk to us. Again, again. absolutely, yeah. Legend. And, and once again, any collectors out there want to talk about your collection? Do it. Do it. Do it. Do, do it. it. Do it. Do it. Get in touch, and we will have you on. And yes, we'll. Um, let's talk. Let, let tell us tell us about what you got. Let's talk. Let's moan. Let's judge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, quiz was great. I loved it. I think we should definitely do that again. <laughs> you would. Yeah. Miserable old <laughs> bastard. Right. I'm gonna. Do go I watch. sound miserable? <laughs> I well, won. In alternate universe, you do. You're the one who's a bad loser. I am a bad loser. I think it's because you are. I admit yeah. it. I admit <laughs> it. I admit <laughs> it. You did. Bad loser. I'm a, I'm a bad loser because I think I really like film. <laughs> but you pick things I'm just ne- I've never it's never crossed my circles I don't understand how not I'm not you know Michelle Kahn I don't fucking know well I've not even watched Discovery <sighs> Star Wars is much better anyway um, oh, go away now <laughs> I'm gonna go watch Dragon see you next week no Bye. Well, see you uh, did it again whenever uh, I just oh, can we do that bit again no. Oh, it's just it's so depressing. <laughs> end end as you began in complete chaos. <laughs> no, Jenny, we're gonna sign this off properly. So yeah, that's it. Listen to us next time. Bosh. Bye. Bye. Bye.